Hello, I'm Rachel Bavin from the Oncology Podcast. I'm here today with Lance Kawaguchi, CEO of the Cure Brain Cancer Foundation. We're chatting about neuro-oncology research and how we can accelerate beyond apathy. Hi, Lance. Thank you for joining me today. Great to be here, Rachel. Thank you very much. I like to start with a personal question, if I may. Your professional background is in banking, finance, oil and gas. You've worked in Singapore, Dubai, the UK. Why are you now leading the Cure Brain Cancer Foundation in Australia? Now, that's a great question. So if I take a step back to 2016, Rachel, my mother was diagnosed in May of 2016 with terminal cancer. And within the five months before she passed, I went back from London to Hawaii to visit four times. And I was with her the last week and the last day, and she asked me to do three things, take care of my father, who because I'm an only child. Second thing is at some point of my career, to take some time away from banking and finance and give back to social impact, preferably around children, since she was a school teacher for 42 years in Hawaii, and also for cancer. So that was very important to her. So from 2016 until 2020, I did quite a bit of due diligence on different types of cancers, different charities. And I really I focused on brain cancer specifically because most people didn't realize and I didn't realize that it's the number one killer of children in Australia, UK, and also the US, point one. Point two is that there really has not been any net new type of treatments probably within the last 30 years. And also the survival rate hasn't really gone up past 22%. So I decided with my family that I wanted to take the next couple of years off to focus on giving back, but really trying to make a difference in brain cancer because it's going to have the biggest impact in the shortest amount of time. So she gave you a to-do list. Did that help you through your grieving process? It was very difficult just going through that process to see the person who took care of you really go through the opposite where I have to take care of her. And I remember the last week I was with her and the last day she grabbed my hand and she said, Lancey, I never expected this six months ago, but I never ever remember what I bought, any material items. I only remember the people, the memories, and also the impact that I've had on my students. So for me, that was quite poignant and really got me to focus on, it's not only about me, it's about helping and leaving a legacy so even after you pass, you make a difference. So for for me, that was a kind of a turning point in my life. It was difficult, but I view everything that's difficult, you can turn it into a learning opportunity. And also I I found it to be very powerful and, and kind of changed the trajectory of my life. As you mentioned, we've not had any major breakthroughs in this tumor stream for a really long time. Why is brain cancer lagging so far behind? Yeah. So number one, it's lagging far behind because the reality is that it's the 17th or 18th most diagnosed globally. So again, 17, 18, you're not going to get the most attention. That's a big issue. Second is really awareness. Most people don't realize here in Australia, it's the most expensive cancer when you factor in life expectancy, life loss, care. But most people don't, as I mentioned earlier, they don't realize it's the number one killer of children, but also people under the age of 40 who are starting their lives have so much to look forward to in front of them. So part of what I'm trying to do is raise awareness for brain cancer, not just here in Australia, but globally. 
right? Partnering with other brain cancer charities, trying to do this clinical accelerator, which is the largest in the world, because the more awareness we can bring, the more attention it's going to gain. There is an unmet need for new treatments, certainly, and a sense of apathy, I think, about how we can change that. How can the new Clinical Accelerator program help? Well, the Clinical Accelerator, when I first joined, when I sat down, I met with 300 members of our community back in October, November of last year before I even joined. I said, what is the critical issues that you face or when you had a loved one go through it? And they said, number one, we have no hope, right? We have no hope because there's no treatments. Number two is no one really invests in the early career fellows, you know, the researchers. We can't retain great talent in research to focus on brain cancer. So what I tried to do in the first, now I've been here 10 months, is most recently we awarded a early career fellowship. And as you know, Rachel, most early career fellowships only one year. I did a three-year because I want to make sure that the researcher has stability and doesn't have to apply for grants every year, which is quite disruptive to research. I will be launching in February two three-year mid-career fellowships also, which is going to be about $850,000. But again, tied to that is also the biotech. When When I moved here to Australia, there's such great biotechs here in Australia But there's really a gap in the capital market structure where unlike Europe or in the U.S. where you can access venture capital or private equity and their risk tolerance is much higher, here there's really not anything to fill that gap. So what I'm trying to do with this accelerator is try to bring awareness, but also to show almost a pilot study that this can be successful And the more that we can invest in the early stage to get them to phase one, phase two, the better for everyone. So it's really to try to prove that this can work. Wow, you've certainly done a lot in 10 months already. You mentioned before, actually, that this was a project for a couple of years. Do you have plans to stay within oncology and neuro-oncology research for the next couple of years? Or are you pretty fluid? You'll see where you go. I will definitely commit my life to cancer, so oncology, whether it's in the scope of charity, private equity, a biotech, I don't know the answer, but I do know that I found my calling because I truly believe that with not only biotechs, but also charities, there's an ecosystem that we can cure cancer. I think what we've shown with COVID is that if we have the will and also the commitment globally and the funding we can achieve things that most people didn't realize that we can achieve. I mean, it's so expensive to get FDA approval. Most people don't realize it's over two and a half billion dollars start to end. So we really need to invest more, but also we need to work together, right? I mean, even for charities, part of my due diligence, I didn't realize how inefficient charities are, very bureaucratic, if I can just be candid. It didn't reconcile to me. And to your earlier point, you mentioned, oh, we achieved a lot in 10 months. But if we're trying to mirror the community that we're serving, and that's people with cancer and also people who have loved ones with cancer, they don't have the luxury of time. My mom had only five months, and I tried everything and anything to extend her life by a couple of days. So I, when I joined, I cannot understand not just ch- charities, but different agencies, associations. People talk a lot, but they move very slowly. And it just didn't reconcile to the people we're trying to help. So what I tried to do is change the DNA, 
change the mindset. And what I tell my team, we only have nine people. We have half of what we had last year, but we're far more productive than the probably last couple of years. Because what I try to explain to everyone is that you can't complain about anything. Live with brain cancer, live with breast cancer, live with terminal cancer. That's tough. What we're doing is not tough. So we need to just recalibrate our mindset and start picking up the pace because the people we're serving don't have the luxury of time. So for me, it's been quite interesting. I think in banking, finance, people will say I move quickly, but I know in charity and oncology, I'm probably moving very quickly. Yes, absolutely. I am sure with a finance background, you're used to things changing very, very quickly. I think that message surely would resonate with the people that you're advocating for, as you say, particularly with brain tumors. We don't have that luxury of five-year, 10-year survival rates, not at all. Talking about finance, actually, and your background, do you think this has helped inform your attitude to investors' risk? Yeah, that's a very good question. Again, On the Australian context, we have a gap, right? Because you have biotechs that can't access government funding because they're too far along. And also the investor base here, it's still very new. So their risk tolerance isn't as high as, let's say, the U.S. or Europe. Because some of these private equity and venture capital firms, you know this, Rachel, they have teams of physicians and, I mean, MDs more than some of the universities here in Australia. So... I do feel that this clinical accelerator will help de-risk some of the issues, but I do think what I want to do is encourage other charities, other type of family offices, private equity, to start supporting the early stage biotechs, right? Because there is significant upside. There's such great talent here, but we're going to lose the IP and the talent because everything's going to get offshore because they can't access any capital. And then they have to go to IPO, which opens up a whole bunch of other issues, right? They have to disclose quite a bit of their IP. Also, their valuations are all over the map because they go IPO too early. So I do think that I'd like to try to help as much as I can for as long as I'm here to really try to help accelerate the ecosystem here. So biotechs don't have to just go straight to IPO right off the bat. They can get Series A funding. The investors have longer time horizons. They understand the risks. They're educated on the risks. And if a small charity like us can take the risk of doing the biggest clinical accelerator for uh, brain cancer globally, then I would hope some of the private equity firms here would actually start doing it too. To match your risk taking. And as you mentioned, actually, about your own team, there can be positives to working in an environment where the teams are smaller. So perhaps Australia can be attractive in that way in terms of biotechnology. We have established ourselves in oncology treatments in a few areas, you know, melanoma, the HPV vaccine really stand out. So is that one of your aims with the Clinical Accelerator to really put Australian and New Zealand research on the map globally? Oh, absolutely. What, what I want to do is show if a small brain cancer charity in Australia can launch the largest clinical accelerator globally, imagine what an Australian biotech can do, right? We need to change the mindset. I know people tell me when I moved here, I think you've read my CV. I've lived in five regions, Asia, Middle East, Europe, US. I've met over probably 300 biotechs. And I would say Australia, they punch way above their weight for biotechs. 
And they have just as good biotechs here than I would say in the US. They're just not funded as well. So there's a big difference. Again, what I'd like to do, if you roll the tape forward 30, 40, 50 years, when I'm kind of old and I have great, great grandkids, I can look back at whatever legacy I, I can contribute to and say, maybe some of these biotechs I helped actually have now helped find a cure for brain cancer or for pancreatic cancer or for breast cancer, right? It's really about making a difference. And I just think a lot of times people focus so much on the problem that they don't realize that you also need to figure out a solution. Everybody complains a lot, but not everybody actually figures out what to do. So I'm just trying to figure out what to do to help the community. That's wonderful. We're not really used to uh, bankers and finance experts being the good guys, you know, in terms well, of I don't that know story. Guy, Rachel, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a normal guy trying to do some good, and I truly want to leave a legacy. I truly want to be able to say before I leave this earth that I actually help someone. So Wonderful. Now, come back to the clinical accelerator. And the big question is the money. So it's $2 million each year, I think, is what you've got set aside. Now, it seems like a big amount of money, but we know in terms of biotech, you know, this is really quite a small drop in the ocean. How will you make a big difference with this relatively small amount of money? Yeah. So again, I fully agree with you. It's Australian dollars also. So it's even less for people who are denominated in USD or euros. But it's really about the significance, right? So if I I keep going back and pivoting back to this, in my first 10 months, we launched this and we're taking a big risk, a risk in the sense of doing something no one has ever done. But what I'm trying to do is also encourage other brain cancer charities to do the same. So maybe our 2 million won't make a big difference, but if our 2 million coupled with other people's 2 million plus people in the US and everywhere else, then collectively that 2 million could have a multiplier effect and maybe get 200 million and then it will be material. But going back to what I said before is that everybody in charity tells me that you have to do it a certain way, right? What I'm trying to have people think differently is that you don't need 600 people in your organization doing you don't know what. You need just the right people doing the right things to make the right difference, So again, I agree with you 100%. The 2 million, it's diminutive. It's a rounding error. It's not that important in the whole grand scheme of things. But I think symbolically, it's very important to show what a small charity in a country with 25 million people can do. And that's what I'm trying to call out to the US, to the UK, the other charities. I reach out to every charity. Some people want to speak to me, some people don't. I don't care who gets the credit, but I don't feel that charities working in silos is going to work. I truly believe that we need to figure out how to go the same direction, not in 20,000 different directions. So you're really planting a flag to say, come, everybody, join us. Yeah, it's the right thing to do. I should mention that we're recording today on the 21st of October and applications for grants have officially opened today. So congratulations. Thank you. Do you have a message to researchers that may be listening? Yes. So I would encourage all researchers in Australia and New Zealand, please apply. A couple of things. I've spoken with some of the biotechs. I want to rest assured, if you look at our scientific advisory committee, we have very reputable people from Harvard, UCLA. Peter Mack here in Australia. So we have a pretty much five from the US, four from Australia. 
I have no insight. I don't even opine on the decisions. I don't review the decisions. Similar to the early career fellowships, one thing that was important to all these scientific advisory committee members to join or rejoin to trust me to join this medical committee is that I give them full autonomy, right? No one at Cure Brain Cancer Foundation employee-wise sees the IP. We don't make a decision. I defer to the medical specialists. And I want it to be merit-based, completely transparent. And also we have everyone sign an NDA and conflict of interest. So I'd like to reassure all the biotechs and researchers, it is a very fair process. We protect IP and no one sees anything they're not supposed to. So if anyone's listening, I would encourage, please go ahead and just apply. It will be fair. And if you have the best science, you will win. Wonderful. So I have a slightly unusual question for you now, because it's not very often we get a finance expert on the oncology podcast. Cryptocurrency in the blockchain is becoming more popular. Its uses are becoming vast. Do you think there's a role for crypto and the blockchain in oncology research? 100%. So if we think kind of separate it, because as you know, my previous life was in data, in AI, in, in banking. Absolutely, I think blockchain from a data, from an identification perspective, especially in countries where you're trying to make sure to protect people's privacy, which is big everywhere, I do feel authentication and being able to identify specific people, there's a runway there. What I cannot opine on is cryptocurrency itself, Dogecoin, that I have no idea. Okay, thank you. So hopefully Australian biotechs will become quite exciting in the coming years. Do you have any hot tips about who we should be investing in? <laughs> well, I can't give specific companies, but what I can say is what I said earlier is that I would put up any of the Australian biotechs up against the US, European, Asian biotechs. They'll go punch for punch. I mean, they are just as good they just need the proper support and funding. Well, there we go, everybody. Let's get investing and uh, see what magic we can make. Are there any other resources that you might like to mention before we wrap up? I would say, I mean, if people do want to learn more about the Clinical Accelerator or what we've been doing on our journey, please check up our check our website, Cure Brain Cancer Foundation. So, I mean, that we try to update quite often, but I would just say encourage them to follow us on social media. Great. Thank you for your time today, Lance. Do you have any final thoughts or perhaps a message to clinicians working today in neuro-oncology? Well, for clinicians, I just want to thank them. They are the true rock stars. For me, I keep on saying the professors, the researchers, the clinicians, they are the superstars. We should treat them like athletes, like how we revere sports athletes. So I can assure you that no matter where I am, I will always support the clinicians and everyone in oncology. So you have my full support. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. You've been listening to the Oncology Podcast. If you enjoyed today's edition and would like to subscribe, head over to our website, oncologynews.com.au and sign up to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.